All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome here this morning. My name is Kevin. I serve here as the uh, Attridge site pastor, and we are in a series uh, called Kingdom Economics. Uh, for those of you who, that were here last week, SOAR took over our, uh, our series, our, our service, and uh, it was a good, exciting uh, service for us. The week before that, uh, Maureen started this, this new series off. And we're, we're primarily, primarily looking at our, our finances in this series, but we're using the kingdom of God as the lens to, to look th- through that topic. And so what we're going to do is we're, we're going to be looking at other topics through the lens of kingdom in the future. So uh, in a few months, and a few years, as we, as we develop these kingdom relationships, kingdom sexuality, and we'll end up looking at various different topics through the lens of the kingdom of God. And so we, we not only need to look at what the Bible says about finances, but we also need to understand a bit better what is the, the kingdom of God. Uh, I've been influenced uh, significantly by a prof by the name of Tim Geddert, uh, and I took a class on the gospel of Mark. And so Mark is going to be the guiding book today for me, as we look at the kingdom of God, and I throw that out there for those of you who like extra credit and studying later, that's the book to really uh, dive into on this one. So if we start with uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus declares, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. If we want to think through a little bit about what the people that originally heard this would have heard there. We need to understand a little bit about them. The, uh, the Jews that, uh, that would have heard this declaration from Jesus, they had been waiting for the promised Messiah to come, God's anointed one, who is going to come and set God's people free from the bondage that they were in. During Jesus' day, that meant that the Romans were going to be overthrown and a new kingdom for God's people established by God for them was going to happen. Hundreds of years earlier, they had this promise from God of land, prosperity, and protection. And the Jews believed that that God was going to do that. This was the same God that brought them out of Egypt. This was the same God that brought them into the promised land that they believed in and had faith in. Although faltering along the way, it was still expected that God was going to do this. The Jews believed that God was going to vanquish their enemies. Under King David, uh, in the Old Testament, things were going along pretty good. King David established the kingdom rather well. And now... They'd been taken over by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Romans. They were decimated. There didn't look to be any hope for what was going to happen, how God was going to step in and set them free from these oppressors. They were hoping for a new king, a new king to come and reestablish from the line of David, one of David's offspring, to reestablish that, establish that kingdom that they were longing for. So Jesus was of the line of David. He was one of David's offspring. And he was the one who fulfilled the prophecies of the Messiah that come out of the Old Testament. 
So he came and he talked about the kingdom of God. The problem was that as he talked about it, people didn't understand. They were, it, it didn't sound like he was talking about an earthly kingdom. He ended up talking more about spiritual freedom, setting people free, but they were still under oppression. He didn't talk about the political, economic, and religious rules the way that they were expecting him to. He kept talking about his way to rule and reign over all that God had created. So the kingdom of God, the people in, that Jesus was talking to struggled. And I think it's fair to say that we still struggle to understand what, what is this kingdom of God that he was talking about. Literally, it's the reign of God. What Jesus is going to reign over his kingdom. It's how he is going to do that. Two weeks ago, Marine talked about God owning everything and us being his stewards. So this recognition is where this whole topic starts. We need to understand that everything belongs to God and we simply steward, we simply manage what is actually his. Uh, today I'm going to include uh, our confession of faith. We're a Mennonite Brethren Church. And so we follow in, fall in line with the confession of faith that's been developed for the Mennonite Brethren Churches. And so Article 15 of our confession of faith is all on stewardship. And I'm gonna, it's broken into three parts, and I'm going to introduce those in three different places throughout this message uh, so that we understand a little bit of what the Mennonite Brethren believe about Stewardship. So it's also a bit of a summary here uh, of this part. So we believe that the universe and everything in it belong to God the Creator. God has entrusted the care of the earth to all people who are responsible for managing its resources. Good stewardship uses the earth's abundance to meet human need, but resists the unjust exploitation of the earth and its peoples. All God's gifts are to be received with thanksgiving and used responsibly. So, God is the creator. We are stewards. We are managers. We are not the owners of what he has given. It is his. In, in our, our modern Western society, it's, it's hard to get our minds around this. Uh, we, we like to own our possessions. They're mine. We were born into this. You talk to a toddler and one of their favorite words is mine. It's mine. We control. We protect. We hold tightly. We're tight-fisted around our stuff. It seems to be this default that we have. But as we're going to see uh, in the kingdom of God, release, giving, sharing, being open-handed are the ways of Jesus in his kingdom. So, the book of Mark, as I said, was, was kind of influential uh, for me uh, as, I, as I looked into this. The book of Mark is the book, the gospel, that I recommend to new believers, to people that are just getting into reading the Bible, just starting to understand Jesus. Read the book of Mark. It, all it is is a bunch of snapshots. It can be re read really surfacy of just a whole bunch of amazing things that Jesus does. Just really quick, short, short 
stories of Jesus. It's, it's fabulous. What this professor, uh, Tim Gettert, showed me is that Mark was actually doing something way deeper below the surface of what you just read. There's something really going on. And what it is, is that Mark is actually teaching his, his hearers, his readers, in the same way that Jesus was teaching. And so there's a lot of little stories of examples, of ideals, of this is an ideal for us to follow. These are, these are the people that, that, that get it. These are the people that don't get it. And Mark is doing a lot of, of subtle teaching uh, in the same way as Jesus. So, uh, go back to uh, Mark 1.15. That Jesus is proclaiming this kingdom. Here's a, here's a quote from, from Tim Gettert. Jesus is proclaiming a kingdom. But he's not doing so by going around and telling people, here is the kingdom. He's not making it explicit. He's not making it really obvious and giving a dictionary definition of this is the kingdom of God that I'm coming, that, that, that I'm bringing. Instead, he goes around recruiting disciples. Get this list here. It's a long one. Recruiting disciples, teaching with authority, driving out demons, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, pronouncing forgiveness, accepting the sinners, challenging the status quo, vanquishing the enemy, renewing the people of God, and creating spiritual family. That's a summary of Mark 1 to 4. Continuing the quote, is Jesus announcing the arrival of God's kingdom? Not overtly. Not for those who do not have ears to hear what he is really saying. Not for those who do not have eyes to see what he is really doing. But if those around Jesus allow their ears to truly hear and their eyes to truly see, they will discern in Jesus' words and deeds the arrival of God's kingdom. It is not established by the political systems of this world. It is not one that comes with apocalyptic fanfare, nor one that centers on the temple or the law or the religious leaders. It is a kingdom that comes imperceptibly from small beginnings but with a great destiny. It, it, the, the kingdom of God comes secretly. That's how Tim would describe it. Like a seed that bears fruit or a parable that ends up coming to life. When, when, you, when you plant a seed, a seed is a great example. It's an example Jesus used to describe the kingdom of God. When you, when you plant a seed in the ground, you, you sit there waiting for it. You watch, and you add some water, and you wait, and sunlight, and you wait. And it doesn't seem like anything's happening. This is, this is what the, the, the people in Jesus' day were struggling with. It doesn't seem like you're doing much here, Jesus. Like, when are you going to overthrow the Romans? Quit taking care of these poor people. Overthrow the Romans. Grow! And this, this seed is just kind of sitting there in the ground. And for those who have eyes to see, for those who have ears to hear, for those who have the patience to wait, eventually that little seed pops up. That's nothing. It's a little pop of seed. Like, there's nothing to it. Just wait. And slowly that seed grows. And a little bud sticks off, and a little stem, and a little shoot, and a little flower, and whatever. It grows, and it gets bigger and bigger. And the kingdom of God has been growing to the place where, look at the Romans of 2,000 years ago, and look at the kingdom of God here and now. 
Earthly kingdoms aren't standing. The kingdom of God is still alive and active, and God is doing something at work here today. Like a small seed, Jesus' kingdom grows into something far bigger and far more powerful than the Romans. And part of what it is, what it is, is Jesus is transforming hearts. He's not just building big buildings, setting up political systems, setting up financial systems. You can't see, you can't measure the growth that is happening in someone when their life, their priorities, their values are switched to be in line with the kingdom of God. Behaviors are transformed. Beliefs are transformed by what Jesus is doing, by what he's saying when people are following him. So in Mark's version of Jesus' life, how he describes it, he shows people what to look for in the kingdom of God. He, he wants his, his hearers to train their eyes, train their ears, train their hearts to perceive God's kingdom. So a, a quick understanding of the kingdom of God is that it's the way that Jesus does things. It's his way. It's his reign over the world as king. We, we call following Jesus, Jesus following Jesus' way, we call it discipleship. Literally, disciple means a, a student or a learner. And back then, they had the rabbinic system where disciples followed a rabbi so that they could become like their rabbi. The disciples would live like their rabbi and watch their rabbi so that they could be like their rabbi. And here we are 2,000 years later, still students, still followers of Jesus, so that we can become like him, so that our eyes and our ears will see and hear things the way that Jesus was leading, the way that he was reigning, and that we would see that and live that out as well. And so Mark 1.15, you have Jesus who is declaring his kingdom. Well, Mark 1.16, the next verse, starts with him calling his disciples and saying, hey, come, follow me. And so Simon and Andrew, they leave their nets, and James and John, they leave their father. And this theme of leaving something behind to follow Jesus is, is a theme that runs through the book of Mark. And it relates to both the kingdom as well as to stewardship. It, it appears that, as, as, as a first read, it appears that these disciples just kind of drop everything and follow this guy that they had no idea who he was. Oh yeah, sure, I'll just leave my nets. Okay, bye-bye. Bye, Dad. Going to follow this strange weirdo. And it's, it's really hard to go, okay, really? And I think Mark is saying, this is the example of discipleship. Drop everything and follow Jesus. Let nothing stand in your way. The nets were the most important things to Simon and Andrew. The father was to James and John. It's really hard, in my mind, to make a cultural transition here to 20th, 21st century Western world. So, Am I supposed to drop my nets? I don't own nets. I'm not a fisherman. Am I never supposed to see my dad again? What, what's the application? What, what, how does this apply? It, it's minus 40, Jesus, in Saskatchewan today. 
Not today, thank goodness. Um, so what, am I just supposed to leave everything? I'm supposed to sell everything? Is that Jesus' ideal? As you read through the Gospels, it seems like it kind of is. Just leave everything and go live on the streets in minus 40 Saskatchewan and freeze to death and die. Praise Jesus. Is that really what he's saying? Just leave everything? Well, yeah. I think so. Kind of. Am I supposed to own nothing? Um, it's interesting, though, that I think, like I said, Mark is teaching us something at a, at a deeper level about giving things up and actually repurposing them. Because what happens is if you read a few more verses along, after a few verses, the disciples and Jesus are back in a boat. Didn't he just give up the boat a few verses? But now they're back in the boat. The key is that the reason they're in the boat is because there's so many people trying to listen to Jesus that they can't hear it all. And so he gets into a boat to get off the land so that people can hear him. And he's, him and his disciples are in the boat. And Jesus turns the boat into a pulpit. All of a sudden, Peter's boat is being used for God's glory to declare God's word to the masses. A few verses ahead, family comes into the, the, the picture and Simon's mother-in-law is sick. And it's like, well, didn't they leave family? But now they're back at home. He's waiting for his mother-in-law to take care of him and make him, make him supper. But she's sick, and so Jesus heals her. She gets up and serves them a meal and all this. And Jesus' glory is shown through his power of healing. And it's like, oh. So all of a sudden, family isn't just this people that we find our identity in, but it's, it's who Jesus uses through us to bring glory to himself. Our boat, our occupations become something that Jesus repurposes for his glory. So, Tim, Tim Gettert's summary of this, much more concise than mine. Let me read it to you here. Leaving everything to follow Jesus is thus about priorities more than about actually abandoning people and things. It's about putting kingdom matters first. It's about readiness to drop everything that stands in the way of faithful discipleship. Sometimes that will literally mean leaving people and things behind, and sometimes it will not. Mark uses these stories to show a willingness to realign what is most important to us to God's way, for his purposes. That, that is good stewardship. That is using what you have in the way that the master wants it used. We all have something. Things that are very valuable to us. How do we repurpose those things and make them in alignment with what God is wanting for us? To leave everything is to release control of things. Jesus becomes Lord of our relationships and our possessions, which no longer keep us from responding as radically to Jesus as he calls us to do. Our released possessions become tools for the Lord according to his purposes. So I believe that that is a perspective of the kingdom of God, of what he is wanting when it comes to our stuff, to when it comes to the, the stewardship of, of what we have it's, it's realigning what we have to his purposes, his kingdom. And so we need to talk about finances 
and how we align our finances with his kingdom and his way. Last week was more of a macro look, again, just a, in summary, where God owns everything. Or two weeks ago, sorry, when Maureen spoke. Today it's more the micro of, okay, what about me? What about me, my business? How do I, how do I look at finances through the lens of the kingdom of God? Uh, I think in the kingdom of God, the short answer is that, that finances really aren't very valuable in God's kingdom. It doesn't seem like that, that's really a high value to Jesus. Store up treasures in heaven, not on earth, would be more of his perspective. But Jesus obviously understood how hard this is for us, back then and now, to not put trust in our, our values, uh, to, to not put trust in money, not put our value, not put our priorities in our, our stuff. Uh, Jesus had quite extensive teaching on money. 16 out of the 38 parables relate to money. And there's more verses in the New Testament on money than any other topic. Money is significant uh, in, as, as a significant topic, topic in the Bible. And so it's important for us to know what Jesus teaches. Because uh, it's such a pervasive topic throughout the New Testament, especially of, of what to do with money, it, it's a real challenge to summarize it. I'll give you a couple of options. One is Google it. Uh, what did Jesus teach about money? You'll find all, all sorts of great information. Another is we have something called Right Now Media. It's like Netflix for Christians. It's free. You can access it through our church. There's a whole bunch of different resources uh, on money and finances and getting a biblical perspective uh, if you want to, to use that resource. I'll give you a quick summary here of what Jesus teaches. Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' famous sermon. He says this, Don't store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Mark chapter 10, another teaching. Jesus talks to the rich young ruler, is the story. He says, sell everything and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. It's very interesting if you look at Mark chapter 10, and you compare the story of the rich young ruler with a few verses later, where you have blind Bartimaeus. And in the middle of that, you have Peter saying, we have left everything to follow you. Blind Bartimaeus was a beggar, Blind, he had a cloak that he would use for warmth and to lay out in front of him so that people could throw coins on it to help him out. Jesus comes by and he starts calling out and he throws the cloak aside. He leaves it. That is no longer important, but following Jesus is the way that he wants to live would be the lesson that Mark is uh, illustrating through this story. Throw aside your whatever it is that your, your identity, what you need in life, make it, it can leave, it can be gone. Whereas the rich young ruler just couldn't let it go. Mark 12, uh, the widow's might. This widow is, it, 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 the story is, the, don't put, uh, put everything that you own into the offering. Don't give out of your wealth, give away your last two cents. She had two coins. She could have kept one of them, but it was all that she had left, and she gave it to the temple, this corrupt system. And she just gave it. 
everything that she had. Give up everything. Uh, a summary of our teaching would be in our confession of faith on this. Uh, says this, to confess Jesus as Lord, as King, transforms values. Jesus warns that we cannot serve both God and wealth. Preoccupation with money and possessions, self-indulgent living, and eagerness to accumulate wealth for personal advantage are not in keeping with the teachings of the Scripture. When we choose to follow Jesus, we quickly learn that our values, our priorities, need to fall in line with his. And so what are our priorities? Uh, We all have different priorities based on just the way we view our our world, the families that we're born into. As you talk with friends, family, and others, you you realize that people have very different priorities uh, very quickly. Uh, Some people follow rules. Some people uh, value relationships. Others value leisure, clothing, travel, spending, saving, going fast, going slow, playing it safe, taking risks. We all have different priorities and different values just by the way we view our world and our place in it. And when we choose to follow Jesus, the call is to make his way the priority. What Jesus' way is, that it becomes our priority. And each of us will express that very differently in our lives. As as we look at money specifically, I, I don't see it as an end. It's very rare that people want to just have a whole bunch of money in their bank account, just sitting there. The reason we want a whole bunch of money in our bank account is so that we can do something to it. It's the means to an end. The end is a holiday or a house or social club or, or whatever it is. We want to do something with the money, not just have a whole bunch of it. We want to have, have the ability to to use it for, for a purpose, whatever that may be. And so, what do we use it for? What do you use your, your money for? However much you have, how are you going to use it? What are you going to do with it? What is your priority with money? Is it in line with Jesus's? Our confession of faith says this. The Bible teaches cheerful, sacrificial, and proportional giving through the church in grateful response to God's goodness. Christians do not claim any of their possessions as their own, but manage all their resources, including money, time, abilities, and influence, in generous ways that give glory to God. They do not despise the poor, but practice mutual aid within the church and share what they have with others in need. God's people seek to embrace a lifestyle of simplicity and contentment. So what are your priorities? How do your finances reflect what you value? If you're a follower of Jesus, your priorities should be affected. And as a result, your finances should be affected. The money that you have should align with Jesus' priorities. So what are Jesus' priorities? Healing the sick. Creating spiritual family for the lonely feeding the poor, forgiving, accepting the outsider, sending out missionaries. Those are some of of Jesus' priorities that we need to be in alignment with. 
it's real quick to feel a sense of, of conviction of like, whoa, okay. If you, if you feel that, let me just encourage you. That's the Spirit of God speaking to you. It doesn't mean that you're bad. It just means that you have a ways to grow. Conviction simply helps us grow. And so Don came up after my message in the first service, this is why I'm saying it, and he said, you know, there was a kind of a sense of, of conviction, and I, I thought I was taking it easy. I thought, okay, well, so be it. Like, that's just what the Word of God says. But with conviction, it, it, it's really a wonderful thing. If God is working in your life, there should be a sense of, okay, so how does this work? How can I be more in line with God's priorities? A way to... to start thinking this through is just starting with the big question first. Have you surrendered everything to God? Including your life. Have you given your life over to God and recognized that your life needs to be stewarded? He's created you to follow him. To be used to care for the earth. To care for others. So, if you've surrendered everything to God, whose house, whose car, whose toy is it? We're stewards. Can you acknowledge that everything is his? This is, this is really hard. This is the big level question. It's really hard because what it says is, is uh, it, it, it tinkers with our mind about our perspective of God. Because the reality is, is, I don't know if I trust him. I don't know if, if I believe that he's good. I don't know if I believe that he's actually in control. A lot of times I think I can do better than him. And all of a sudden you realize that, okay, my view of God is a little bit skewed here because I'm holding pretty tightly to this because I don't trust him. And can we open our hand to him and say, yeah, you can have my life. You can have my stuff. I'm going to realign it to be in line with your values. Then the other question is... How are you going to be a wise steward with what you have been entrusted with? You've all been entrusted with something. Rich, poor, whatever it is. A a Tim Gettert quote says this, Serious discipleship involves a readiness to relinquish and or invest all that we have in ways consistent with our kingdom perspective and Christian calling. Some of you are really good at just relinquishing. Just let it go. Some of you are really good at investing and growing it and growing it and growing it. Just remember it's not yours. But yes, grow it for the sake of God's kingdom and glory. Make more money. Just remember it's not yours. It's to be used for God's purposes and his priorities. So how is God asking you to prioritize the money that you have been entrusted with? What is God saying? A great way to, to discern that is in community. It's why we gather. It's why we're part of a church. It's not something for you to just work on on your own, quietly, your own little checkbook online, looking at how much you have and whatever. We're pretty quiet with money, and yet in the kingdom of God, it's like, okay, how are we going to work through this together? That's one of the reasons we have small groups, where you can throw this out to other people. Open up your finances to one another. Trust one another. What is God saying? How should I use my money? How should I use my car? How should I use my house? How should I use my clothes? Whatever. Ask others for input. What is the Spirit of God saying? 
Jesus' priority for us doesn't mean that our material needs aren't important. It simply means that they're secondary to his ways and that we need to steward them for his purposes and not our own. Our vocation, our income, our relationships are all used to be are all to be used in a way that aligns with his priorities. It, it's not easy in our world today to to figure this out, and yet uh, God will continue to prompt us by the power of His Spirit to encourage us. My hope for you is that you don't hear conviction. My hope for you is that you you have a sense of how you can grow more this year into the kingdom of God than you did last year really easy. Be more generous this year than you did last year. Be more generous today than you were yesterday. Be more generous over this next five years than you were in the five years before that. It simply shows that you're growing in God's kingdom. You're part of the kingdom of God as you grow in generosity and become and realign your things more and more in the ways of Jesus. And I pray that God gives you wisdom as you discern this and as we discern this together in community.